0: Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show.
1: Hello and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Paris of Copper Beach Financial Group. John, what's going on? Same old stuff, Eric. All good. Just got back from a little trip to Florida, to visit a sick friend. Michael was off to a conference. So uh, we're kind of circle of wagons today and jumping into a podcast right off the shoot. So yeah, well,
0: welcome back. Welcome back. And Michael, I know that you're going to introduce the guest today.
2: I am. Yes. I'm happy to have Joe McClinsky on the podcast. Joe, how are you?
3: I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, Joe. Nice to hear you again. Yeah, okay.
2: John. Yeah, this is gonna be great. Mm-hmm. So so Joe, you are I'll obviously let you give a little bit of your history and your background, which is uh, an awesome one, which is why we which is why you're here today. But Joe is the CEO of Shift, which is a tech enabled management and consulting firm that's been mm-hmm. nationally recognized as one of the nine best or nine times best places to work, which is an amazing feat. So I'm very interested to hear about that. But you're also a New York Times bestselling author, you're a TED Talk presenter, so uh, we've got a great guest, I think, with us today. Absolutely, so thank you so much again.
1: Thanks, Joe, for coming.
3: Well, let's not call it too early. Let's see how the content. Yeah, you're gonna be gonna go <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so why don't you give us a little
2: bit of your backgrounds and what you do as a as a company and and what you have done, and let's kick it off
3: here. Awesome. Well, I can assure you this that most management consultants don't have this background that I do because you know I started my whole career basically in the streets of Baltimore. So I am originally from Baltimore, born and raised on the East Side as they say, and you know, really started hustling at the age of 13, mostly out of the need to just eat. I grew up in a real poor environment and, you know, had a pretty tough childhood and, you know, found myself in high school at literally the worst high school in the state of Maryland. We had a 23% graduation rate, which means wow. we started off with 965 freshmen and graduated 235 seniors 4 years later. Hmm. We had the number one football team in the state. My quarterback got shot. I mean, you just check all the boxes of all the stereotypes. But, you know, I also happen to be very fortunate. My dad is like my hero. He is uh, the most humble, hardworking, just really heart-centered leader I've ever met in my life. He lives his life with honor. He's been at the same company for 46 years, guys. Wow. And, uh, you know, it's he an just anomaly. happened to, yeah, it is an anomaly. He you know, started off like the American Dream sweeping floors and now he's like an executive in a four thousand person company. But the guy that he happened to work for happened to be an all-American lacrosse player and football player at, at the Johns Hopkins University, which is really where my story starts. I was able to go from that environment in Baltimore to this you know, extremely competitive academic institution, and it was sort of my first big quantum leap. Of like, okay, I like basically just figured out how to read a book and write a paper. And now I'm gonna be in the deep end with some really smart people. And while I was there, I just figured out that I was not gonna be an engineer. I was not gonna be a doctor. I was not cut out for Wall Street. I was uh, cut out for business and being a small business owner and an entrepreneur back before that word even existed. And so I started a couple small businesses in the late 90s. One of them went from five to 150 people in about three years. And I just got the bug. I mean, I'm sure there are people listening to this that can remember the time when they found out like the one thing they thought they were really good at. And I've had that happen in sports a few times with football and lacrosse. But with business, it just sort of clicked. And I learned about this thing called management consulting while all this was happening and nearly took a job with a big, one of the big four back then, but ended up wanting to start this business that I still have today. So we've been at this for 22 years. We work with about 600 plus companies. And just going back to my dad for a quick second, I mean, you know, while I was at Hopkins, I, I thought I'd gotten the lottery ticket. Like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm going to be around a really smart people with a lot of money. They got to be happy. And when I got there, I was like really shocked that that was not the case. That apparently, you know, being a poor kid, I thought money would make you happy and certainly gives you freedom and flexibility. But a lot of those kids were overly stressed, overly burned out, not living a life of their own. And so for me, I sort of started thinking about, you know, when you look at the workforce, just the idea that we spend eight to 10 hours a day doing this thing that most Americans (laughs) just don't love, don't like. If we think that people not liking things or not loving them deeply is going to bring out their best or unlock discretionary effort or get people to go from like having to do things to getting to do things to even wanting to do things, we're going to have to change things up. And so what we've done you know, quickly here is we've just found a way to work with executives to help not only clarify where they're going, but also to how to think about resourcing and getting their people to be sort of fired up, suited up and ready to go for the week. And it's been really, really, really fun because not only have we been able to boast about some of our client successes, but we've also watched them actually do the thing that we know needs to be done for people, which is just treat them like adults, treat them like humans, treat them like people that you would treat in any other business or any other setting, just not business. Simple, right? Yeah, supposedly, supposedly, John. So that's really what we've been up to. And, and it's, been a, it's been a wild ride. I've had a chance to um, work with a lot of really exciting companies earlier in my career. I even helped a couple companies uh, as they IPO'd. And then as I, I wrote a book back in 2012 that did really well. And then it was another quantum leap moment for me. We went from working with just exclusively small to mid-sized businesses to like the CEO of Benjamin Moore called me and John Hancock and New Balance and some really big organizations to help them do the thing that we were doing for small to mid-sized companies. So there's been a lot of other twists and turns, but I think you know, just for me, it takes a lot for me to say this, but I'm really proud of the work that we do. I'm really proud of the way that we help. I think ultimately the mission is this, is how do you change the way people work? So it literally transforms the way they live.
1: Hey Joe, real quick, I'm going to interrupt you here for a second. Let's go back to your dad, because I mean, we're all special to our kids, right, Michael? Oh, here, here we go. This uh, is where I'm. Uh, I'm going to be forced to also
2: say that my father is my hero. I was paid to say that,
1: Mike. <laughs> was, I hope a little up. late on that, draw, Would you say? Yeah. Right? What do you think, guys? Uh, anyway, uh, re- all seriousness, I mean, when you look at. Your dad did we always work with families. We always try to share values and transfer those values, hopefully, to the next generation. If you go back to your relationship with your dad, what values did you take from him that helped you not only in your career but drive your entrepreneurial side of you and be successful? What, what can you say about your dad? And even your mom too, by the
3: way. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, look not leave a mom out. No, no, no. Listen, I again I've got I'll give that story here in a second, but just focusing on my dad. I ended my last my first book regardless with exactly this answer John which was you know humility is where it starts you know my dad is this guy who does not care about the credit he is you know got just this very humble approach to life and I can't possibly explain that more when you meet him the people that work with him or know him just know that you know he's the kind of the person that you can set your clock by so it's not just you know, humility, it's also dependability. I mean, he is the most consistent human being I've ever met. You know, you you literally can set your watch by him. You know, and beyond that, he's a hard worker, you know, blue collar guy from Baltimore city. My life pales in comparison, or, or I should say his pales in comparison to mine. I mean, I've got a hard story. His is 10 times harder. And he broke the cycle. He found a way to show up 46, 47 years now. Every That's wonderful.
1: Day. That's a wonderful story. And I'll
3: say one last thing about him, which is, you know, I think really important is that the guy leads with honor. And so to me, honor is everything from just keeping your word. Honor is, you know, back to being humble and not taking the spotlight. And honor is just taking the high road always, even when it's really hard. And he's mastered that skill better than anyone I've ever met.
2: Fabulous. Just to follow up on that, because that's an amazing story, Joe, but how... I'm assuming without having seen your consulting work firsthand with a company, but I I would assume that is really that story is a core part of your message today with businesses. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I would assume that that's the case. Am I correct in that?
3: For sure. I mean, look, I often tell my dad, I was just with him this past weekend, and I was like, you know, just to be clear, dad, I'm still shift is still basically a personification of who you are, and who you be, and how you show up. And, you know, a good, good portion of how we approach leaders, you know, is is got a lot of resonance or, or connection points to how my dad would, you know, just remind me little things like everybody puts their pants on every single day, just like everybody else does. And, you know, none of us are as smart as all of us you know, and just little Jim McClinsky that I have been able to, you know, frankly, you know, carry forth and sort of transfer from, you know, my relationship with him and the way that he shows up to, you know, really putting out things that I think, you know, it's like, when you hear these things, it's not like he made them up, or or I get the chance to like, you know, these are not my ideas. But I do think when you make the invisible visible, meaning like, when you hear these things, you go, oh yeah, I probably could do a little more of those things. Or they're just reminders of things that we all know that are true. That to me is a good mark of whether these are things that folks could, if invited, to try them on and see if they work. Because none of us are perfect. Um, hey, but Joe, why, time, well, we can all get better.
1: Yeah. And why also I also ask that question is I, I go back to when I grew up, you were fortunate. I grew up without a father. So when I had Michael I go. What do I do with this kid? <laughs> I had no roadmap or no parent that I could I could go to and say, "Listen, how do I do this type of thing?" So I I was fortunate. I had a strong mom that kind of raised us, but I didn't have a father. So I was I was curious on on what you you know, got from your dad, right?
3: From a value standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, he you know he's definitely as I said. I mean, he's done a really nice job. And John, as you and I talked about, I yeah. mean. Look, I think in a lot of ways, you know, we're just all doing our very best to figure out this moment by moment. If we're being really honest, we're all making this up as we go along.
1: Absolutely. And so I yeah, couldn't yeah, agree with you start. more from our conversation. That's what I took from you. Everybody's just doing it the way it has to has to go, I guess. Yeah. Well, Joe,
2: one thing I wanted to touch on is sort of what you see in the executive marketplace these days. We are obviously, uh, hopefully out of the pandemic situation work is shifting attitudes are shifting economy is shifting what are the key concerns that you're seeing from the executives that you work with or the struggles that they're having and how are you guys addressing that to them
3: well look i think there's been enough said about the last two plus years of just trauma that everyone's Mm -hmm. gone through right so everything from you know a health pandemic to all of the things that we brought into the pandemic, right? Like, you know, the social justice issues, the economy, the way in which we're all just showing up for each other in general in the community. And I think if you now parlay that to where we stand today, I think the headline for me after, you know, certainly working with lots of executives is the pain of change, meaning the world is moving at about 180 miles an hour, you know, on a good day, maybe it even moves faster than that. But Most organizations, you know, before the pandemic would have been happy at 60 to 90 miles an hour. The the problem is, is that that gap of how quickly things are emerging. I mean, just as an example, you know, most people have probably heard of ChatGPT and AI. This is a platform that is the fastest growing platform on the planet. A hundred million users in less than six months. (laughs) We're not contemplating this because we're sort of the frog in the water as it's being turned on, you know, ever so gently. But that compounding effect now sort of adds up quite a bit to you know everything from robotics, advanced manufacturing, 3D printing, Internet of Things, artificial intelligence, blockchain, all of these things are now converging in a way that businesses have to start really thinking about, how do I stay relevant? And I think a lot of leaders, if you double click one more layer underneath of this is like, okay, so most organizations had some great resignation dynamic, Lots of folks are trying to get their folks to come back into the office, which I don't really have a hard opinion other than I think everybody should pick what's best for them, both the employees and also the employer. And right now, the sort of levers at an executive's disposal are really two things. I can either force you to come to a meeting or I can send out an email and hope that that is the, you know, that'll move the needle. And I will just tell you that, you know, right now there's 252% more meetings that have been scheduled since the pandemic got going. And on the other end, no one's reading any emails. I mean, I saw a stat recently, you guys will probably be blown away by this, but can you imagine if you were an executive of a thousand person company and you send out an email to your team right now, the open rate of an email is around 50 to 70% in a company that size. Wow. Now, one more Of the people that are actually reading the email, half of them are only spending less than nine seconds. So you've got this stress of the pain of change. And then if you click into like what leaders are facing, it's like, well, should I use the carrot? Should I use the stick? Should I get them to come back in the office? Should I schedule more meetings? Like there's just, we need new tools. We need sort of a hybrid solution for this hybrid work. And I think we've sort of stumbled onto it.
2: Yeah, it's it's kind of an unbelievable statistic. I was not aware of that. That's uh, on the email. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, the, to to follow up on that, one thing that we've heard from a lot of the people that we work with, both both business owners and colleagues and peers, that in getting back to sort of the return to work type of decision, they're struggling with mentorship, for lack of a better term, in terms of newer employees, people that. Are new to the company that they really want to instill their culture uh, of the company onto these new employees, but the fact that they maybe aren't getting as much face time because there's a hybrid work environment or a remote work environment, uh, it's been a struggle. So I don't know if that's something that you've seen on your end or if you have any thoughts on that. But I can see that particularly in my profession, the legal profession, I hear that all the time from attorneys that we work with. Is you know now that they're still a lot of them in a remote work environment, they don't get that one to one training or mentorship for the new associates coming out of law school and them at least believing up front that that might really hamper their growth as they move forward in their career. So I don't know, again, if you see that on your end or if you have any thoughts on that, but it'd be interesting to hear your take on that.
3: You know, Mike, it's a great point. And I think this is for all of my, you know, super progressive innovators who are like, oh, we just got to get everybody to work wherever they want, however they want, and just treat people like adults. I say, yes, and. This is a great example of, you know, if you've talked to people who've actually worked from home for longer than ten years before the pandemic starts. I did this with a big space company that I was working with about four months ago, and I asked about 400 of their leaders, how many of you have actually like worked from home for about a decade? And we had about 10% of the room stand up, and I said, "Great. Now answer honestly. Do the people that just started this exercise two and a half years ago, since the pandemic started, since March 16, 2020, do they have any idea what they're doing yet?" And they all just started like laughing. Because I think the assumption was, well, I can just work from anywhere. And yes, there is definitely a lot of freedom within that framework. But I also think, you know, you're hitting on a couple small pieces that are turning into big pieces. So number one, there were five generations in the workforce before the pandemic. Now you still have that notion, but now you have younger people that are missing what I would call the meeting after the meeting. So what is that? Well, it's like we meet, we're in a conference room, we're all hanging out, and then after the meeting ends we we all walk out together some of us walk to go get some coffee some of us walk to the parking lot to take a walk some of us are just walking back to our office those casual collisions those conversations that serendipity that we have essentially ripped out of the fabric of every organization it is missing it's missing in a
1: big, uh, that's big way that's interesting yeah yeah that's a great point that, yeah that's interesting
3: and John and Mike, like part of the issue with that is what leaders are doing is saying, all right, well, that I'll schedule a fun Zoom meeting. I'll do a Zoom happy hour or I'll do a, a Zoom yoga session. And look, we've run the play on all of these both for ourselves and for other clients. And what I will say is, John, you're hitting on a really important piece, which is it, there's actually still a really important reason for us to gather. Like, think about it this way. What did they say in marketing? It would take seven times before someone would like know you or buy from you. But if you think about today, when we do this conversation now, if I were with you two right now in the same place, right, we were seeing each other's nonverbal cues, the signals, the subtle signs, right. our EQ, our emotional intelligence would be at a heightened level. But now, because we want to keep the audio quality good, because we're doing this virtually or digitally, like we're only listening to the sound of each other's voices. Now, it's not all bad. It's better than an email. But at the end of the day, it's sort of removing or stripping away the essence of how we collaborate, the essence of how we communicate. And look, I started this whole exercise with Shift 20 years ago because I'd read Danny Goldman's book about emotional intelligence. And I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, this is one of the core components of leadership. This was 20 years ago. Well, people mostly have heard about EQ, but my question is, do they know what digital emotional intelligence is? Do they do they understand that 70 plus percent of people's days right now are between emails, instant messaging, and they're spending looking at a screen? So w- this is a new terrain. And I think in a lot of ways, organizations have undersold what it's going to take for them to learn how to collaborate better. And I think, you know, last little point on this. So let's say you're removing serendipity. Well, the next, again, lever or tool for a leader to push is scheduled in-person or scheduled Zoom meetings. Great, we've talked about it. Microsoft has a study that since the pandemic, 252% more meetings have been scheduled, which is why people are burned out. It's why people are saying they don't have time to go do their work because they're in back-to-back-to-back Zoom meetings. So what's the unlock? Well, the unlock for me is how do we asynchronously collaborate? How do we get everyone on the same page without scheduling more meetings? Is that a muscle that most leaders have learned how to build? And I would say going all the way back to your comment or your question, John, which is like, some of this has to be in person. Some of this doesn't have to be in person. Some of this has to be scheduled. Some of this has to be like emergence flow. It has to unfold. Like this conversation, like we had a thought process, but who knows whether we're going to land at the exact place we thought we were. Right. That's not the way people talk. So if we don't want your team to feel like they're in a a customer service-like environment where you're talking to that telephone rep on the other side who's just doing their job, just doing the best they can. But let's be clear, they're reading from a script, they're reading from a playbook, and they're not really open to you going off script. Well, that's really what work has become. And it's why people have been so like disenfranchised. And in in a lot of ways, they're not fired up. And so that's the way I would think about that, John.
1: You think it's affecting... The younger people going back to the workforce obviously there's a lot of people that are sitting on the sidelines for whatever reason I don't know but they are because they're not the younger people seem to be struggling are they staying home and doing their own thing with with maybe uh uh Facebook I mean what are they doing what do you see I'm perplexed at what they're doing I'm an old guy so no. I'm, no. I'm an old guy that you know cut grass when I was you know, 12 years old to get 10 bucks. But I don't understand why they're not motivated to go out and investigate the world around them.
3: Because well, it, well, I,
1: It's a big world. And they're missing it,
3: I think. Well, John, I think you represent a population, a generation where- now, Be careful, the man, world. John. No, I know, brother. I know. Be I, careful, I, Jeff. This is going to be a compliment. Mary, I got
1: to watch our, our Gus sometimes.
3: <laughs> you represent a part of the population that I would say was moving out of Survival to thrival, right? Right. This was a a generation that you know can remember really hard moments in the world in this country in a very different way than I would say today are. And look, you know, you're a dad, so what was the point of having kids and 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 putting them out in the world is to have them a little bit better than you did? Which means by default, John, even you, me, and even Mike, if we try to get really grateful for it, it's like we don't remember what a long cold winter was when the pilgrims got here. Like we're not going to remember. What it was like to live through a civil war in your own country. Like these are things that we've graduated from. So, therefore, there will be some version of entitlement. We didn't earn it. None of us did. We just got born here. Right. And so, if we just acknowledge and start there, I think what it does is it opens up the frame a little bit to say, okay, look, every older generation looks back at the younger generation and says, you guys are a little weaker. You're not quite as gritty or resilient. You know, you had it a little less hard. And I go, yeah, they, all those things are true. And things are gonna be a little harder for them in different ways, right? Just like it was harder for all of us in different ways and than, than maybe our parents' generation. And so I think, you know, the question that you're asking is like, what are they doing? I think it's a great question because in some ways they've opted out of the system. They've opted out of this American dream of I'm gonna go, you know, work for someone like my dad for 46 years and all of the good things are gonna happen. You know how rare it is that, you know, my dad happens to work for a guy who gets it and my dad happens to get it. Like these are not common moments, yeah. and go to this next place which is you know as you see the gig economy right now they're they're saying that by 2027 about half the the labor will be in some version of the gig economy meaning not a full-time W2 position and I don't know that that's a bad thing. I think if you look at where AI is maybe taking out some of the mundane roles not as a replacement but maybe as a as an augmentation of humans production, I think that's one piece. And I think the second piece is you definitely have people that are making money doing things not cutting grass. Like they're making money online. They're making money through you know different ways that may not seem like valuable. And by the way, some of them definitely don't feel like they're valuable to me. But I also think you've got people that are just looking for like, hey, my time valuable. I'm just coming through a pandemic. I'm not going to do something unless it's really going to, in my mind, feel like it was worth it. And so I think that plus, you know, you print $6 trillion and give it away. I mean, everybody's yeah, I a little gonna bit of money right now good. going, Hey, you know, there's, it's, so to me, it's like a lot of factors and it's a great question, but I think in my mind, I'm like, okay, you know, how do you think about just the talent in this country, the opportunity that exists for us to continue to be the most innovative country on the planet, the country that people send people to, because, you know, again, this is still the greatest example with a lot of flaws and a lot of things that are definitely not necessarily feeling like they're on track but at the same time you know it's still pretty much the best place to be right yeah a and that's, a ch- and
1: that's a challenge that's a challenge you have with the generational conversation with our clients because G1 B I think differently than G2 Michael right. and then my grandkids have got to have a different mindset education relationship to the world around them how do you communicate that generationally we're challenged by that because we try to get everyone on the same page as a family but often it's a challenge to do so because of that shift. And I guess your point, your main point is you can't go backwards. So you got to go forward. But going forward, you got to figure it out because it's different. The technology is different. The community is different. And us older generations are struggling with, and I'm, I'm honest about it, I'm struggling with how do I figure it out? Because Michael, I go back and forth. I go, Michael, pick up the phone and call Joe. Mike goes, dad, I'm going to text him because he's busy. No, call Joe because because that's a better way to communicate to Joe. No, Joe likes to be communicated by email, so we go back and forth. But he's right; I can't get anybody on the phone anymore. <laughs> they, don't, they don't pick up. Well, their it's, phone. it's
2: up to the point now where yeah. where <laughs> I mean, I see the, you know on social media these memes all the time about like leaving a voicemail. It's yeah. like oh, that's almost yeah. become obsolete. But you need to leave a voicemail, of somebody and just shoot them a text, or you can do you can do an audio yeah. text now, right? I mean, right. somebody just sent. One of those to me over the weekend. So it's, yeah, it's just shifting. And some people I think like to be communicated to differently. I'm not totally against picking up the phone.
1: No, people. I'm teasing you. I'm, yeah. I'm making no, a point. I I but I pushed back at Michael in the past. I said, Michael, we're in a relationship business uh, and we need to have face to face contact or at least voice contact with our clients. And he, he gets it. He agrees with me. But I'll give you another example real quick. We had a bunch of Zoom meetings with a new family that we work with the West Coast. And it, it was four different families we we're having a zoo meeting with. It was the CPA firm. It was us. It was the family on a zoo meeting. I was having a I was having a heart attack. It was so. It was like okay, how's this going to flow? Well, we right. did three or four meetings like that because everybody was, you know, it was hunkered down for COVID. And I get that, but our most impacted me when I said to the president of the company we're flying out and we're to spend a couple of days with you guys to go through all these processes, and they said great. It was significant impact on our relationship because we flew out. It made a huge difference to our relationship. And still today, we have that relationship. I love the face-to-face contact with these guys. But a lot of the newer folks in our business are not necessarily maybe looking at that. They're trying to find an easier way to connect. And I think, again, maybe to my fault, I'm not seeing how that's going to be successful. It's just how I'm looking at it. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, maybe another way to think about it, John is that there's the golden rule, treat others how you would want to be treated. Right. And then a good friend of mine, Jackie Insinger wrote a book called Spark and, you know, she reminded me of, you know, the so-called platinum rule, which is how people want to be treated is how they want to be treated, not how you want to be treated on them, right? And I think it does offer, you know, a totally different set of alternatives because Mike as an example, I voice text all the time with people who I know yeah. like voice texting, right? I mean, if you call someone today out of the blue, as someone who's still hustling, right? We'll get into this maybe at some other point, but like, look, I'm still out there talking to CEOs as, as you know, a business development and chief revenue officer for my company. I, I'll tell you, if you really want to see a strange response, just call somebody who's not expecting your phone call, who has kind of defaulted now to more digital communication, and, you know, again, it's, you know, I'm with you, John, like I would rather us be in person. I mean, yeah. 10 times out of, you know, on Sunday. However, I think there's a few little minor unlocks with digital communication. I mean, one, we didn't have to travel today. That's nice, right? You know, two, when we're on Zoom, there is a little interesting thing that happens in terms of hierarchy, which is, you know, there's not a the traditional, you guys, you know, probably picked this up with me several times, which is I have been thinking about and studying power, power structures, power systems, Blind spots with power. And you know, it's funny when we're all in a conference room, everybody's designed to look at the front of the room. There's a teacher, there's a leader in place. But on Zoom, we all have the same square. We all are arranged however that we got on the Zoom. And all of a sudden, the hierarchy sort of maybe unlocks a little bit. And, and I think that's interesting. That's that,
1: yeah, that's good and, point.
3: Yeah. And then I'll give you one last thing that makes me laugh about like digital communication is like, you guys have never been in my home except for today, you're in my home how crazy is that just from an intimacy standpoint a personal connection standpoint like that's pretty wild to think like back in the day we were never thought of it this way but now you're zooming with people all over the world and you're literally in their homes what gets more personal than that so it's almost like if we somehow some ways we widen the aperture maybe we reframe some of these things i think it's like Okay, we can default to phone sometimes, we can default to digital collaboration, and then we can come up with a third or a fourth or a fifth option. So anyway, just some things to think about.
2: Yeah, well, it's interesting when you talk about the number of meetings that have occurred since the pandemic that I think was that Microsoft study that you mentioned. And I think that that is becoming almost the reason for perhaps some of the burnout that we might be seeing is because I'm just thinking in our business, even if it was a local you know, client, we'd still have to take you know a half hour, forty five minutes to drive there. Uh, yep. Usually, you are not on a meeting, and obviously, you need another forty five minutes on the way back after the meeting to get back to the office for the next meeting. You have these sort of natural breaks in your schedule, whereas now, you know, it's Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting, it's almost as if we're almost trading off short term efficiency for longer term burnout potentially. I maybe not articulating that properly, but that it, it I like how you phrase that or put that in perspective.
1: You can't hide in today's world. You right. can't hide anywhere. Right. Everybody could track you down wherever. Yeah. <laughs> because of technology. I remember years ago before iPhones and everything else, and I was using payphones when I was in the field, my boss didn't know where I was all day. I just had a report out of file. Here's what I did today. So today you can't hide. I guess that's not a bad thing. But it helps business, I guess, thrive more. But it's it's a fascinating change. Again, you got to go forward. You got to figure it out to your point. And every industry is different, I guess, depending on what the industry is all about. And you have to figure it out. And I guess that's how you coach these companies. I'm assuming that's your master approach.
3: For sure. Look, I think at some level, it's hard to read the label on the jar you're in. And so I've said this from the very jump 22 years ago, when we started working with organizations, like I don't know more than anyone else necessarily, but I'm not the one in it. So it's always easy to have a little bit of objectivity, you know, as you're coming in. I mean, heck, we've hired over the last 22 years, no less than, you know, a dozen plus consultants to help us in various sort of functions. And I think part of what you're saying too, John, is like, this is an opportunity to think through like look you know yes transparency sounds great you know how do you think about transparency with your a players not so much your c players so the, you know the natural inclination is well now we're going to figure out what the heck those c players are doing it's like here we are again we're focused our attention on the problem not the people who potentially look the the power curve says in most organizations it's not 80 20 that you know the 20 percent that are producing 80 percent of the results it's typically five percent producing 90 percent of the results yeah. Question is, how are you focused on those folks? You know, what kind of freedoms, you know, do those folks need? The flexibilities do those folks need? Base your model off the A player, not the traditional C player that we always have a tendency to do.
2: Yeah, no, that that's that's a it's always about prioritization, right? Yep. No, I 100% agree. Listen, Joe, I think we're running a little low on time for this podcast, but mm-hmm. so you think you'd be up for uh, part two? let's do a part two. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for this part one. And I think we've got plenty to talk about for part two, but thanks so much for being a part of
1: this. Looking forward to it. Uh, Joe, it was a pleasure.
3: You bet, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Definitely a pleasure, Joe. It's so good to meet you. I'm so glad you're part of the show. Gentlemen, thank you so much for bringing him on as a guest. And our last thank you, of course, goes to the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast with John and Michael Paris. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. We humbly ask that you share this podcast, write it, and leave a review, as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.
4: This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax legal or accounting professional before making any decisions. Copper Beach is not affiliated with American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc., a member of FINRA SIPC, Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors, Inc., an SCC Registered Investment Advisor. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Any opinion expressed in this forum is not the opinions of American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolio Advisors, Inc., and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy. American Portfolios and Copper Beach Financial Group are not affiliated with any other named business entities mentioned.
3: American Portfolios, Copper Beach, and Shift are unaffiliated entities.